Hello and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show all about workers' rights and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcasts to you around the country on Community Radio Network. I'm Dennis Rogatyuk. The floors, walls and tables of the Federal Parliament in Canberra were left gathering dirt and dust last Monday. As cleaners down their brushes, mops and feather dusters, put away the detergent and the disinfectant and demanded a wage increase and recognition of their work. The event coincided with the 25th International Cleaning Workers Day and to help commemorate it, the cleaners have awarded Joe Hockey the Golden Toilet Brush Award in recognition for his efforts in degrading the conditions of cleaning workers within the workplace. Tony Abbott was last year's recipient of the same award. According to Mark Phillips, the editor of Working Life, the Parliament cleaners want to see their pay increase by $1.80 an hour from 21.10 to 22.90. Considering that all cleaners have high security clearance and are responsible for maintenance and cleaning of highly delicate items and national treasures, this kind of action should really be a real wake-up call for the Abbott government. Lyndall Ryan, the Secretary of United Voice in the Capital Territory, said that the Parliament cleaners are some of the longest working staff and are highly respected in their positions. Thus, taking an industrial action was particularly difficult for them. On the same day, June 15th, a march organised by United Voice gathered in Melbourne in opposition to the calls of the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry to strip away penalty rates from the awards. The rally of more than 100 cleaners and their supporters gathered on the steps of Trades Hall before marching to the headquarters of ACCI in East Melbourne. Finally, cleaning workers in Janikin Cleaning Firm in West Sydney have been fighting for their rights at work. 35 workers belonging to the Janikin Cleaning Group undertook strike action earlier this month, joining with the United Voice Clean Start campaign and demanding job security and an end to job casualization. While some workers are organizing and pulling together the industrial forces, Australia's 645,000 unemployed are being dealt more economic blows from our neoliberal government in Canberra. According to an article recently published in Working Life, the job search requirements for people on New Start will become even harsher. Job seekers under the age of 30 will be forced into the work for Dolcim for six months with a total of 25 hours of work per week while a failure to attend the job search appointment will result in financial sanction of $50. Joining us now is Owen Bennett, the founder of the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union and the secretary for the Melbourne branch. Owen, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks a lot, Dennis. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Now, uh, Owen, before we go into the uh, gist of all the atrocious um, annual legislation that's been, has been aimed at the unemployed, uh, could you tell us a bit about the work of the AEU and some of the actions and activities you've done already? Sure, sure thing, Dennis. Well, we started in about early 2014. After a long period of being unemployed myself, I realized there was an urgent need for organization amongst the unemployed. And we've just been building ever since then, really, and just educating unemployed people, workers, you know, everybody on, on exactly the reality of unemployment because it's one of those things that is really stereotyped and simplified and, and just misunderstood, really, about what unemployment means and what it means to be unemployed. And really, the key message we've been trying to put out there is that it's not the fault of unemployed people that they have no work because currently there are 11 job seekers 
third job vacancy going by the official Australian government figures. And that's something that isn't really known about or acknowledged in any real area of Australian politics. And this myth of the dull bludger and the job snob is, just, is relentless. And what we need is a counter-argument about what actually is happening on the ground for unemployed people, which in most cases is just inability to find work because the government has failed in creating enough work to go around. So when we first formed, our main emphasis was on myth-busting, and we released a series of, um, of, of posts on our, on our website and Facebook where we've mainly been operating since just, just educating and um, informing people on on, on stories that people have been doing, like where we encourage unemployed people to write in with their stories and we put it up on our website, unemploymentunion.com.au and our Facebook, and just, just really trying to let people understand more about the reality of unemployment. That's what we've been doing for the last year and a half. Right, right. And uh, with regards to the um, the current attack on the, on the unemployed, just uh, what is the scale uh, of those attacks? And uh, also, how will it... How will it affect those in precarious and insecure employment? All right. Well, um, that's a whopper of a question. Uh, let me just start that from the 1st of July, there's a bunch of new um, policies that are going to be introduced by the federal government, which means that unemployed people, by unemployed people I mean people on Newstart, if they don't attend their job search appointment with the employment search provider, they can be fined by that employment search provider if, if they don't have an excuse that's to the liking of that employment service provider. So we really feel that like this is an unprecedented attack and when you look at the history of being unemployed in Australia, it's really it's the worst time to be unemployed in Australia because you've never had a fine like that being introduced in this country. And when you when you consider that in relation to the fact that currently New Start is two hundred and eighty dollars below the poverty line per fortnight, then you really get a picture of just how tough it is to be unemployed and you're gonna have these fines being introduced at the same time. And not only that, on on the 1st of July also, there's going to be a massive expansion of work for the doll across the country, which is it's unprecedented as well. What that means is that if you've been unemployed for six months, then you're going to be forced onto work for the doll if you're under 30. Previously, you could be unemployed for a year, and then you'd be, you'd be forced onto to, to work for the doll. So they're, they're halving all the waiting periods for work for the doll, which is going to mean tens of thousands of more people are going to be forced to this unpaid labour, which is um, it's brutal, really. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just going to make the lives of unemployed people much worse than they already are, which is pretty bad. So I, I think it's no exaggeration to say that after July 1st, it'll be the worst time to be unemployed in Australia's post-war history. Mm-hmm. But um, coming back to the second part of that question, which is um, about underemployment, that's something that um, I think is not talked about nearly enough. When you look at the statistics, like according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, there's about 1.1 million underemployed people in Australia, which is the highest it's ever been in, you know, in Australia's history. And that that, that really isn't acknowledged enough. And um, what, what these attacks on the unemployed basically do is that it, it makes it harder, not just for underemployed, but for workers generally, because the more they punish unemployed people, the more they penalise them and subject them to cruel treatment, the more desperate they, that they'll be to accept any work at any conditions. And what that does is it places a downward pressure on wages and conditions across the board. And that's been happening for the past, say, 10, 20 years in Australia. Evidence work for the doll really was introduced in 1990. Eight and um, and ever since like they they kept um, Newstart benefit at a flat rate. They they, they haven't indexed Newstart at all since 1994. It's just it's just kept up with inflation. So haven't been increasing real terms for about 21 years, which is a real national disgrace. But mm. well, what that does though is like there's a growing pool of unemployed people, not enough money, being subject to all these cruel cool treatments. Basically, it forces pushes them onto the labour market, and they're desperate to accept any any work 
because it's just not enough to live on. And what that does, it puts a big downward pressure on wages and conditions, which is, is making real wage growth in Australia very, very stagnant. And actually, at the moment, um, real wages, the growth of real wages are at their lowest point in about 17 years. And inflation is actually higher than real wage growth, which means that real wage growth is actually going down. So it's something, it's something a real big point of the Australian Unemployment Union. We want to point out to workers and this Australian society as a whole is that attacks on the unemployed are attacks on workers too. Mm, absolutely. And uh, what, other, uh, what other units and organizations are you working uh, together with in uh, trying to raise awareness and combat, um, uh, combat this national disgrace? Well, um, I suppose there's, it's twofold, really. Like, because we, we always want to consider ourselves a union, so from the beginning we've tried our best to expand and, and sort of formalize our links with, with trade unions. And the National Union of Workers is a, is a really great union that, um, that has, has been a, a big supporter from day one, and they continue helping us a lot with their community membership campaign and Trades Hall as well. They've, all, they've been a big supporter. We have meetings there, and we're, every day we're trying to work to build our links with trade unions more. Like um, just the other day, ACTU started helping us, and they, they published one of their articles online. So it's, it's, it's gradually, you know, we're getting more and more aware, awareness amongst trade unions because it's time that trade unions woke up, really, and, and acknowledged that attacks on the unemployed are attacks on workers too, and they have to start fighting for the rights and dignity of unemployed people as well, and they have to do it soon. Otherwise, the trade union movement will, will continue to, um, to decline. And then on the other side, you've got all the welfare advocacy groups, which we've, um, we've developed quite good relations with, like there's um, the Social Security Rights Victoria, um, there's, there's VCOS, and, there's, and then uh, other groups like Vegas Pensioners and Soul Action Group. So it, it is a real burgeoning area of... Um, of protest, and it's something that um, we're really excited about, and hopefully we can we can build together with the assistance of trade union movement and really start resisting these cruel attacks on unemployed people. Mm. So, uh, what kind of ac- and what kind of actions campaigns uh, are you planning within the next uh, few months, together with the with the, with the comrades and with, the, with our allies in the trade union mm. movement? Yes, well, that's a good question. Um, it's something that we've um, we've been thinking about for a long time because we haven't really done any actions yet, even though we've been around for you know, a little while. Um, so our first big action is going to be on July 1st, which is going to mark the introduction of, these, of this cruel new system, which is called Job Active, by the way. That's, that's the name they've given this, this disgrace of a system, which was built from the ground up by coalition. So it's a pretty scary thought. But, um, what we're going to do is we're going to go outside, ma- outside Max Employment, which are a particularly bad employment service provider, have a very bad reputation. And in, in Collins Street in Melbourne, in the city, um, that's 470 Collins Street at 1 p.m. on the 1st of July. That's a Wednesday. So we're going to gather at, at the front of Max Employment with signs and, you know, handing out our material and chanting and hopefully getting some media down there and just getting people aware of what's actually happening to unemployed people because I can't remember in my in my life any real protest by unemployed people, you know, for unemployed people. So I think it's a very important sort of voice to put out there, you know, in the middle of Collins Street, handing out our material, Letting workers know and other people know just about what's happening on the ground, and there's groups like Max Employment, for example, like um, they're just, uh, you know, they're bullies really, and um, mm. they just go around bullying unemployed people, and you know, because it makes them money. There, Max Employment, a giant for-profit billion-dollar U.S.-owned company, and they're doing it for the money, not to help anybody, and that that that, that much is completely clear. And when we started trying to tell people about the sort of things Max Employment are doing on the ground to unemployed people, sort of cruel things. And um, I should also point out that this protest is actually also happening in Adelaide too, outside of Max Employment in Elizabeth at uh, 12 p.m. on the 1st of July. So anybody with any comrades in Adelaide, 
um, yeah, you should let them know, and hopefully we can get a good turnout there too. With our, our comrades in the Anti Poverty Network have organised that, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Owen. Thanks very much, Dennis. We've just heard from Owen Bennett of the Australian Unemployed Union about the campaign against further welfare cuts and unemployed benefits. For the last section of the show, we will look at the struggle of retail workers in Ireland. Workers at the Don's stores have been engaged in a long-fought campaign to secure better pay, representation and collective bargaining rights at work, as well as job security. Backed by the Mandate Trade Union, the Decency for Don's Workers campaign has been one of the most significant industrial campaigns in the country within the last several years, encompassing a much broader to obtain collective bargaining rights for all workers. Joining us now is Dave Gimney, the Campaigns and Communications Officer at Mandate Trade Union. Dave, welcome back to Stick Together. Thanks for having me. Excellent, mate. Now, uh, for our first-time listeners, could you tell us a bit about the work that Mandate uh, does uh, over in Ireland in organizing workers and the industrial struggles? Well, Mandate Trade Union is the third biggest trade union in Ireland. It's um, We predominantly represent retail workers and bar workers. Um, most of our membership, um, approximately 70% of them, would be female. Um, most of them would be considered low-paid, um, and most of them are, have been the prime targets for austerity over the last um, seven to eight years since, since the beginning of the financial crisis in Europe. Um, so we've had a tough job over the last number of years, but we're, we're, I won't say we're starting to fight back because we've been fighting back for the past five years at least, um, winning pay increases. Um, I think about 90% of mandate members have now won pay increases in the last three years. Um, and some of them have had multiple include, multiple pay increases, including the Dunn Stores workers who've had 9% pay increases in, in, in three years, which is quite a significant achievement when you consider that the, the country is still going through an awful difficult time and um, officially uh, disposable income is still on the way down. So for workers to be um, campaigning and winning uh, up to 9% pay increases is, is quite an achievement. Mm, absolutely, and but and particularly the Don's uh, workers dispute that's been uh, quite prominent as well. Um, particularly with regards to not just pay increases, but also uh, you know fight for jo- fight for job security and um, decent, decent working conditions. Um, uh, could you tell could you tell us a bit, yeah. a, a, bit, a bit about that dispute, sort of how it's been how it started and how it's been progressing the last uh, uh, couple of years? Yeah, Dunn's was an, an interesting case study in Ireland. It's been that we had a strike on the 2nd of April um, recently um, where it, it, it was the biggest private sector strike in two decades and 6,000 workers came out on the streets uh, all, all across Ireland in 109 locations um, to demand four key issues. Uh, one was um, secure hours and incomes, and that's probably the most important one um, because at the moment, Dunn Stores workers receive a 15-hour contract, and that 15-hour contract um, is, the, is the base, uh, uh, the lowest point that, that workers can, can achieve hours on. Um, however, most Dunn's workers would be working 35 or 36 or 37 hours per week. But what was happening and what's still happening in Dunn's is that the, the employer is using hours, allocation of hours as a method of control over the workers. So, for instance, if you're working 35 hours uh, per week, but you make a complaint about your manager, they'll reduce you down to 15 hours per week, and they'll spread those 15 hours over five days, uh, meaning that you can't access social welfare. But it also means that you can't access access, um, 
what we call family income supplement. So that that tops up your income to a living sort of standard that that's that's um, that you can give your family a decent living standard. So what's um, what's been really important is that we highlighted through the Dunn Stores campaign this major issue of low-hour contracts and how the allocation of those hours is used as a control mechanism over workers. 85% of Dunn Stores workers, now there's 10,000 workers in Dunn Stores, 85% of those workers say that hours are used as a method of control over them. And so that's one of the key issues. Another one is um, the company we're using a lot of temporary contracts that give them a six-month or a nine-month contract. And then once that six months is up or that nine months is up, and say, for instance, a worker joined a union or or cause any, you know, ask any questions about health and safety, they just wouldn't renew the contract and they'd let them go and hire somebody else instead. And that was happening for for years within Dunn stores, but since the campaign has has started, um, we've seen hundreds of workers being made permanent. So that's another um, significant achievement. As I mentioned earlier on, we've had 9% pay increases since the campaign began. So that's another major achievement for for workers in in the industry um, or in Dunn stores. And then finally, the big key one for us is... um, the workers are fighting for their right to be represented by a trade union of their choice. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. In in Dunn stores in 1996, Dunn's workers went out on strike for three weeks. Um, they lasted uh, in order to have um, the right to representation by their trade union, which they won. Not only did they win that, they won those 15-hour contracts that, that I mentioned earlier on. Dunn's were at that time, point in time trying to bring in zero-hour contracts and creating the most flexible possible workforce that they could. But the workers took a stand. They went on strike for three weeks. They won 15-hour contracts, but not only that, they won um, their right to representation by their trade union. Unfortunately, in Ireland, there is no right to collective bargaining. So there's no legal mechanism upon which those workers can have that, that contract or that agreement um, that Dunn signed in 1996 enforced. So what we've seen over the last 20-odd years, 19 years, is Dunn's just effectively ignoring um, their workers and ignoring the union and just going about their, their business as normal, um, uh, which obviously saw ultimate flexibility, really poor workplace practices, um, and, and a really negative place to work. So in the last year, we've really intensified the campaign um, and we've raised the issue about the lack of collective bargaining in Ireland because Ireland is one of the only countries, I think there's only three countries in all of the, the 27 countries in the EU with no right to collective bargaining. And so we, we've been we've been highlighting this and making complaints about it because the, in order to have your right to collectively bargain enforced, you're forced to go out on the streets in Ireland. You have no other mechanism. I mean, we have 60, 65% of the workforce in the union, but yet still those workers have no real tangible right to sit down with their employer. And in fact, the state has mechanisms just like Australia does um, uh, for resolving industrial disputes. And we have the Labour Relations Commission for, for conciliation and discussions. But we also have the Labour Court, which gives recommendations. The Labour Court has recommended at least six times that Dunn's should sit down with the union and have discussions with us about all of the issues at play. Um, And what Dunn's do is they take the recommendation and they completely ignore it. They don't even bother to turn up to the the Labour Court. Um, So effectively ignoring the state's own uh, industrial relations bodies. So we're we're in a very um, difficult position because, as I mentioned, Dunn's workers are very low paid. They're very vulnerable in that their contracts are so flexible and that the day after the last strike on April the 2nd, the very next day, 
done sacked um, a number of workers, workers who um, were less than a year of service, which means they're not entitled to unfair dismissal claims. So Dunn's just took note of who was outside of the stores on strike, and they, they went through a campaign of retribution where they sacked workers, but not only did they sack them, they took... Um, people from one area of work, the workforce, so if someone working in, in the cash office or in one particular department, they moved to, to another one to disrupt their their their, um, their workplace um, practices. But not only that, they in in one of the most devious um, pieces of retribution, as I mentioned, most of the workers in Duns are women, so they have uh, a lot of them would have family commitments, and it, some women were working mornings. Um, from 6 o'clock till 10 o'clock. And Dunn's changed their shift patterns on, to, to make it difficult for them to get childminders. Um, and, and they did that all of this one day after the, the, the strike. And the problem that we had is that everything they did was legal. Um, and that's why we've, we've really turned the screw, uh, for want of a better phrase, on the political establishment who've refused to legislate on a whole number of areas, including collective bargaining, mm. but also um, the, the right to secure hours of employment. I mean, we have workers in Duns who've been working 21 years and getting 38 hours, uh, and yet overnight Duns can just remove their ability to feed their family by reducing their hours to 15 and spreading it over five days. It's their way of managing workers out of the workforce. So it's been a, a really um, successful campaign so far in some, in a lot of some ways, respects. In, in a lot of ways, it seems like it's, uh, it also really helps to reflect the state of industrial and collective bargaining struggle uh, in Ireland as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the whole... Um, campaign has really focused attention on the government. On the day of the last strike, uh, we had every politician from every political party across the country down on picket lines um, because they, they didn't want to be seen to be outside of uh, on, or on the wrong side of this dispute. And we had the Taoiseach coming out and making a statement in support of the Duns workers, which has never happened before in any industrial dispute. Um, so even the right-wing parties were down visiting um, the, the Duns stores um, picket lines because they recognized the issues. Um, and they also know that with the increase in precarious employment that has happened in Ireland in the last seven to eight years, that this affects an enormous amount of people across um, the country. In 2008, Ireland had 0.4% of the entire workforce working in underemployed, underemployment status. And that means that these are workers who want more hours, but they don't have the ability to get them because their employer refuses to give them more hours. Um, and that's the case for Dunn stores. Now we have a situation where 7.8% of the workforce are in those low-hour contract um, situations. Um, so that's more than 147,000 people, and that's an awful lot of votes. So you'll see a clamor of all these political parties trying to get in there and do the right thing and try to uh, legislate and push through um, the type of legislation that's needed to help Dunn's workers. So it's been successful in that, that it's raised much more awareness around the type of employment that has been created over the last seven years in Ireland um, and how there's been a massive increase in underemployment and precarious employment. Um, and Dunn's has been the focal, focal point for all that. Mm, absolutely. And how, how also, how do you feel like this ties in with uh, some of the political campaigns that have been happening in the country, like the Right to, right to Water campaign? And mm -hmm. The Right to Water campaign was established just, um, just, oh, just under a year ago, last August or so, um, and it, came to, it brought together um, a whole range of different political parties. 
um, five trade unions, five big trade unions, um, and also uh, a lot of community groups across the country. And what it has helped to do is um, focus people's minds about what they um, agree on and not on the small things that they disagree on. So, for instance, the campaign only has one uh, key slogan, and that is that water is a human right, um, and they one objective, and that's the abolition of the newly imposed water charges. Um, and now our government have tried to Im- implement an, a meter charge, uh, an end-user charge, which, as uh, everybody's aware, there's high poverty levels. We've got 36% of children living in, in poverty in Ireland at the moment. Um, to to impose a new charge on people at this moment in time is just impossible. Um, not only that, but the whole concept is a neoliberal concept of charging for what is a human right, something that we will die without if we don't have access to it. So um, that has been the straw that broke the camel's back as far as austerity is concerned uh, in Ireland. We've seen the biggest mass mobilizations of people in the history of the state. Um, on our first demonstration, we had 100,000 people. On the second demonstration, we had 200,000 people all across the country in 106 locations. And since then, the campaign has gone from strength to strength. We've had demonstrations on a Wednesday afternoon at 1 o'clock where we had 85,000 people on the streets, which is unheard of um, here in Ireland. And the equivalent would be 7 million people in Washington in the United States oh, wow. marching um, mid-week. So it, it shows the level, uh, the scale of the, of, of the protests. Um, but that campaign has now developed a little bit further because... Water is just a symbol of what the neoliberal um, political agenda is. So we've decided within the unions, within the Right to Water campaign, that we need to push this a step further. And so we've moved into the area of um, political policies that a progressive Irish government would would implement. And and we've created 10 of those policies, including some really key areas like the right to health care, the right to housing. Um, and the right to education. I'm sure people in Australia would, would be aware that, you know, in Ireland, in the last, still at this moment in time, 40, 40 families are losing their home every month in Ireland and becoming homeless. Um, it's a major issue. And what we're trying to do is affect change in these really key areas. So rather than giving what the government did last October in our budget, a 405 million tax cut for the top 17% of earners, we're saying that money would have been better off spent abolishing water charges, but also looking at some of the other areas where we have real crisis in our in our um, social um, services side of things. So um, the, 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 at the moment, what we've had is on May 1st, on International Workers' Day, we held the first conference, first of a two-part conference, to discuss what type of policies people want, where we invited political parties of all um, hues, of the left, really, um, and then we also invited other trade unions, but we also invited community groups. And we all sat down and had a I listened to international speakers from Greece and, and from Spain and from Germany talking about their movement in Tsaritsa and in Podemos and in the Berlin Water Movement. And, and we're trying to learn from them and see what they did right and, and learn from them in what they did wrong as well and see how we can work and create a new common platform or a mass mobilization of people to take on the neoliberal agenda that has affected so many Irish people in the past in such a negative way. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Steve. Thank you. That was Dave Gibney from Mandate Trade Union in Ireland, wrapping up our show for today. We would like to remind listeners of the upcoming action on July the 1st at 1pm on the corner of Collins and Williams Street in support of the unemployed and against further cuts to their welfare. That will be all for Stick Together this week. I'm Dennis Rogatuk, and I'd like to once again thank two of our special guests, Dave and Owen, for appearing on the show today. Thanks to the Community Broadcasting Federation for its financial support of the program. Thank you for listening to today's episode and we hope you should tune in same time next week. <laughs>